Jordan is on best. Harper's on Miller. Welcome to another edition of the Indie Cornrows Podcast. I am your host, Mark Schindler, joined today by my colleagues from Indie Cornrows, Tom Lewis and Caitlin Cooper. Uh, we have some pretty exciting stuff to talk about today. This might be the last time that we have to talk about a coaching search for a really long time. If we're lucky, hopefully hopefully we don't have to talk about a coaching search for a while. But um, after it being kind of the, the circle of life in terms of talking about the Pacers, we, uh, we have finally zeroed in on a target, Nate Bjorkren. Uh, has been hired by the Pacers as released by Sham Sharani today. Before we talk about it, um, Caitlin, Tom, how are we doing? Uh, how are your days today? Busy. Um, I was saying before we got on here, I told Mark, I said, I just had an inkling that that the Pacers were going to make a hire today or tomorrow. And of course, I was on a different podcast. We talked all about the coaching search and never mentioned Nate Bjorken one time. So Not once? That's nope, funny. <laughs> nope, not one time. So... Uh, yeah, I mean, a big news, especially since um, last week, uh, nobody's going to believe this, but I literally spent hours watching several Nate Bjorker and G League games last week, had a draft started, and then when news broke that Chris Finch was the front runner and that Dan Craig had made a strong impression, I was like, I don't think anybody's probably going to want to read this. So I <laughs> dumped the entire thing for everyone to be able to read today. So. <laughs> I would say if uh, if anyone else told me they did that, I might have uh, not believed them. But Caitlin, I, I honestly have no doubt that you did that uh, in terms of Definitely. you being able to Definitely. cover everything. So I am not at all surprised. Tom, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Yeah, it is kind of interesting how um, you know his name really came up because of an interview with Nick Nurse, and he he brought it up really, um, and then the whole time it was. Even after that, it was kind of like everyone started reporting it, but it was again, yeah, he fell into the background of all the all the candidates. So uh, th- that must mean they really liked him. They wanted to just keep it secret the whole time, I guess, because um, they were obviously sending out other other uh, information, <laughs> or, or at least confirming other information, because it seemed like there were a lot of other other guys, like you said, um, with the the Heat guys coming in, and then. Um, I know over the weekend I was listening to Mark Monteith on a, a local radio show. I guess that was Sunday morning, and he um, he reported that um, uh, who was it? Dan Craig had been in, and um, uh, Finch and Billups last week. So, um, but he had mentioned anybody else, and it sounded like, oh, that's interesting. Okay, those you know, no Mike Bentoni. Okay, um, and so. All of a sudden, here we are, and I, you know, I don't know. Even Jay Michael, he he's been reporting on different guys who were who were favorites, but um, uh, now we we got the guy, and it's like, who is this guy? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's uh, it's really funny because I like honestly, I was uh, I was on setting the pace a couple days ago. I think it was Sunday. Sunday was two days ago. Gosh, feels like forever. Two days. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. Alex asked me, you know, my thoughts on on. Um, who was it? It wasn't Nate Bjorkren, but it was like Dan Craig. And I felt like I know more about Dan Craig than Nate Bjorkren. And even then I was like, I have no idea. Like, I, I don't know what he does for the heat. Like I know that he's, he worked in player development before he went to the G league. And for Nate Bjorkren, like I, I don't, we don't know a lot about him. And I think it's, 
It, it's funny because I was I was kind of talking about this off air with somebody a few days ago about how one of the things that makes a guy like Nate Bjorkren or, I mean, I guess more so with a guy like Chauncey Billups or just people who haven't coached before, there's kind of that alert to like, okay, he's a young guy. Maybe he's innovative. Maybe he's going to do this. Maybe he's going to do that. We have no idea what he's going to do. Um, and obviously Caitlin wrote a phenomenal piece today, which you, if you have not gone and read it already, please do that. Um, you will be better for it. Um, but at the same time, we still really don't know a whole ton about uh, what he's going to bring to the Pacers. But um, I think it's just a really exciting time. I mean, the first um, outside hire by the Pacers since Jim O'Brien. So that's obviously significant. Um, but I, I think that the the bar is much higher than than with Jim O'Brien. I'd be surprised if the team were to go in that direction. But um yeah, I, I just kind of what were your guys' initial thoughts in terms of, of just real quick and another thing I I thought was interesting. I mean, I was at you know in the whatever it was a couple hour period I had open here. It was I felt it was interesting getting to uh, scratch the surface on uh, Bjorkman and and his uh, uh, you know background and, and everything. Um, and you know I I'm excited about it. Uh, just to see what he can do because, you know, as far as what Kevin Pritchard talked about, um, you know, having someone innovative and, and you know, he obviously is a uh, a bit of a risk taker and, and not afraid to change things up, not afraid to throw a game plan away and have something ginned up real quick on the fly. And, and um, so to me, you know, when you got a team like the Pacers and, and you never know who's going to be healthy and you may not be undermanned, you got to be able to, to adapt like that. And um, I also thought it was interesting just to go back to the, the coaching candidates, another guy that I hadn't heard of much um, before um, the athletic in the report on Bjorkgren um, mentioned that Emil Udoka was a, a finalist along with Dan Craig and Chris Finch. So, um, Again, I think we joked about this last week, but it seems like the final the finalist list was pretty long. Everybody seemed to have three finalists, except they weren't always the same three. But <laughs> yes. uh, regard, regardless, um, it was kind of fun getting uh, digging into Bjorkgren and, and seeing what we might uh, might get from him. And I appreciate the work Kalen put in because uh, that was a uh, a good start to uh, the actual basketball side of things. Yeah, I mean, I, all four of those names. I think that um, Scott Agnes, too, had in his newsletter that the three finalists were Craig and Finch and uh, Bjorkren, obviously. And I think what we can take away from that is clearly Kevin Pritchard was willing to take a risk and take a swing on somebody who was going to be a first-time head coach, which um, nobody, mm -hmm. none of the other teams other than Brooklyn were willing to do that. So far, everybody else has hired a retread. So um, I can say from the tactical standpoint of all of the people that I watched, I can understand why they got to those names as the final three. Um, the one main takeaway I had when I was going to write this article a week ago, which fit right in with what I wanted to say based on some of the reporting out of the Pacers today too, was that I watched games against across multiples of his team, obviously coached in Dakota and Santa Cruz and in Iowa and then in Bakersfield, which is now the Northern Arizona Suns. Um, that none of his teams, when you watch what they're running, they rarely look the same. Like it isn't like a Mike D'Antoni team where yes, there's obviously a lot of pace and isolation adjustments between like the Rockets and his sons. But like, you can tell that those are Mike D'Antoni teams. Mm 
when you watch Nate Bjorkren's teams, they are an expression of what those players are. And I can mm-hmm. see why for the Pacers, like what I wrote in the article for a team in flux, like we don't know what's going to happen with Victor Oladipo or what they're going to do with the double big lineups or what other changes they might even make, or maybe make none that he could be a guy that could probably adapt. Like you say, I mean, the one series that they played when he was in Bakersfield, they were playing the Austin Spurs, which I touch on there a little bit, like the Spurs that year, back and forth had and in that series they had Kyle Anderson they had Jonathan Simmons old friend Orlando Johnson Jamichael Green was back and forth with them some even like they were at a at a steep talent disadvantage but they managed to steal the first game of that series and he only had eight guys available like (laughs) I mean he coached that team to a win and I think sometimes a lot of people want to look at G League teams and think like you know, players are just coming down and coming back and forth and just going down there to get their shots. And while I was watching Dan Craig and a lot of these coaches, like there's a lot of scheming going on there. And like in that athletic article, I think you mentioned that profiled Bjorker and like he and Nick Nurse talk about how they would spend literally 10 hours a day just scheming how they were going to win a <laughs> game. Like these are grinder type guys. And yeah. And you could see the innovation, like in the series that they coached against each other in the finals, like you could see some of the stuff that they were throwing out there and you're like, oh, that's a little different. Like Nick Nurse is throwing out zone full court presses and other stuff in G League games that you don't really see a lot of other people doing that they were willing to do. Like, I don't know that I would necessarily say, like based on what I saw from Finch or uh, Craig, that maybe some of the offense was quite as complicated, but in terms of the adaptability and how you would plug in some of the other players, I can definitely see that the flexibility would fit for the point in time that the Pacers are in right now. And and certainly personality wise too, like you watch him on interviews and obviously we'll see more tomorrow when he introduces himself to the media, but to, to borrow a a term from Victor Oladipo, he seems to have a very feathery and positive (laughs) outlook on games, like definitely like a soft spoken demeanor. And even when you watch him inside on the sidelines in games, he's not going to be a demonstrative person on the sidelines, like the one play that I wanted to highlight, he just quietly calls over a player. And like, that's something that always draws my attention. Like they're during the free throw line. He motions a little bit about what they want to run. And you always want to see what develops next, but he's, he's Mm -hmm. definitely calm waters when he's coaching. Yeah. Yeah. And one thing that I want to point out as well um, that I think is, I mean, it's not like a crazy thing. Obviously there's a lot of turnover in, in coaching staffs, especially going uh, you know, on some of some teams that are not as successful. Um, Nate Bjorkren coached TJ Warren for, I believe, a year and a half or two years when he was on Earl Watson's staff. Because um, I remember when I was writing my article about TJ Warren's defensive improvements, I tried to contact a bunch of dudes off that Sun staff. And it was also t- and tangentially, I don't know if you guys fell for it, there was a, uh, a fake Bjorkren account that came about that looked like it was maybe a real Nate Bjorkren account and actually a bunch of uh, – Blue checks followed it, which was really funny. And then the dude came out after Scott Agnes was like, yeah, that's not the real guy. I was like, I actually knew that because he, I, in, in searching him up four or five months ago, he has like no social media accounts. I don't think he, has, he doesn't have Instagram, Twitter or anything. So I thought that was just kind of a funny connection. Um, he obviously had, I mean, I know Tony, Tony East uh, brought up some stuff on the timeline of uh, old things that he'd said positive about TJ Warren. So um, it'll be interesting to see how that, um, kind of ties into uh, to his coaching this year and, and, and his work with TJ. And he coached TJ in the G League. I mean, TJ played nine games that season for the Bakersfield Jam. So he has he has experience. I watched some of those games too, and he, he was running a lot of flex actions and stuff for him out of the baseline that, that fit 
what TJ Warren would do in order. I mean, and TJ was doing TJ things, just loading up on scoring points with <laughs> getting 40 point games and stuff while he was playing in <laughs> Bakersfield. But yeah, I mean, there's experience there and you bring up the social media aspect. I, I immediately, when that hiring happened, went to TJ Warren's Twitter account and went to TJ Warren's Instagram account to see like, what is his reaction going to be to this since he did have prior experience and in pretty short order, he, he put on his Instagram story uh, that, you know, things go full circle and welcome to Indy Nate. And it seemed like a pretty positive response. And just on a side note, I didn't know if you both noticed that Miles Turner also tweeted something about the coaching hire. And obviously you can't take a lot away from social media, but I did think that was somewhat telling while, you know, like given that Victor state is also kind of up in the air as his has been, as miles has been rumored to be too. And, and Victor's been basically radio silence, but I did notice that miles Turner tweeted something pretty, fresh off the the news of you know welcome the new coach to indy Ooh, yeah that, that uh, is interesting because i was um i'm trying I, I literally read so much stuff some of it new today some of it old um but but it was a local i i don't know if it was j michael but they mentioned that they felt like the pacers wanted to go forward with miles and and some bonus and that's kind of what i expected i thought that they might give the new coach a chance to see what he could do with them before they made a decision unless something you know really just that they couldn't turn away from came up around the draft i kind of expected that they would continue to look at that yeah so and that you know that come i was like okay that that you know further makes sense why they would possibly be Going with Bjorkman as well. So, but yeah, and listening to him, like you mentioned in the few interviews that you find, and he, he really did have a have a, a feel for that. You know, you, you mentioned Feather. I also think of him kind of in the same vein as Frank Vogel. It's just like, oh, we got this mountain in front of us? Okay, this is going to be fun. Let's go attack. You know, it's let's like, let's go on a hike. Yeah. yeah I mean, let's, we got this. We got this. You know, and it, it, um, <laughs> and you know having having that kind of a, a spirit and then you know also obviously he's just a, a grinder and and wanting to develop guys and, and player development also is a big thing with them as as i think tj warren probably mentioned that full circle yeah he, he was with them in the beginning and now now here they are um ready to be on the big stage together um which is pretty cool so uh, even if he's not doing the actual, you know, as hands-on a player development as he has done as an assistant, um, he's going to know what he wants from his assistants doing that. So um, that's another positive. So, I mean, really, the, you know, and you think about that type of a guy, and, and when we were thinking about Chauncey Billups, it's almost the opposite. Like, you know, um, a guy who he didn't really want to, go through that first round of interviews. And, and I think that's what initially probably turned the Pacers off. And that entire um, candidacy was kind of weird. I mean, why? Uh, yeah. Assistant the, coaching the, yeah. release coming out. And I, I don't know what to make of most of that, but yeah, yeah I, I couldn't believe when that came like out, it was, play. yeah, it was like, wait, what are we doing? I mean, you know, if that, that you know, when he signed, supposedly had that deal done. I'm like, well, he's got to be done with the Pacers. They're not going to want to bring him in. And it just seemed like, you know, maybe he was 
always a guy thinking or would be a guy thinking about that next big job personally um i, I just kind of feel like the way that all played out well i know that, that the um, the los angeles athletic i believe had reported when they talked about ty Lu's hiring that ty Lu had lived with chauncey over the summer for like two months and the, the two of them had talked extensively about coaching and coaching together so like when it was announced that he was going to go there i'm like well, you know exactly what are we doing is this some sort of weird leverage play have the yeah. already kind of told him like you know we're meeting with other people and he just decided to move on but yeah yeah it was it was definitely a weird thing because i remember i i tweeted something about how that you know impacts the coaching search because of, of course the assistant thing comes out first and then you know, like 15 minutes later, it drops that he's still in the running for the head coaching candidacy. So it was a weird time. Um, but I think, you know, and kind of circling back to to Nate Bjorkman a little bit um, and, and speaking on the coaching staff a little bit more in depth, um, I believe I saw that uh, – I don't remember where I saw it. I think it was in Shams' uh, article. Uh, he talked about how Nate Bjorkman will have full uh, autonomy over hiring coaches, but, you know, it seems presumed that uh, – perhaps the front office will have like a little bit of a hand in it just in terms of uh, helping build out that front office. So obviously that leaves, I mean, not front office coaching staff, you know what I meant. Um, but obviously that leaves kind of uh, the, the circumstances for, you know, Dan Burke was already definitely up in the air uh, in terms of things that we'd already seen reported. Uh, and so that, that puts Bill Baino and, uh, and Popeye Jones up in the air as well. And I wonder what your thoughts are kind of on, on the coaching staff moving forward. If, if anyone might be retained and um how he might look to, to kind of build out. Well, the one thing that's interesting with Bjorkren, and like I said, he's like, of most of the candidates, he's probably arguably the biggest mystery bag. Cause like mm -hmm. I said, his teams were most similar and that they were dissimilar. And he did coach some really dominant defensive teams. I mean, when he went to the finals, that was the number one defensive team in the G league. And they, they were mainly bred on turning uh, defense into offense and, and really present in transition. And because he has experience with Nick Nurse and seeing all these different zone concepts and just the other, you know, cool things that the way that, that the Raptors play defense, it kind of makes me wonder if, if Dan Burke would still be around because I don't sure that those two styles yeah. necessarily completely mesh. Um, I know that there had been reporting earlier and we know that Bill Baino predominantly coaches bigs and that he works a lot with Sabonis in the off seasons. So maybe he sticks around for that reason, but given that they've interviewed yeah. a lot of players and, and I would, I mean, not a lot of players, a lot of coaching candidates, it would be interesting to know just to put this one out there that if depending upon who the Pelicans hire and who the Pelicans have yeah. as a staff that David Griffin had said, like he, you know, we would like to keep Chris Finch around, but after the Pacers have talked to him, like if he's not going to have another head coaching opportunity, who wants to stick in coaching, I think that would be a great addition to uh, oh, yeah. staff. A lot of extra offensive um, brain power there. I mean, he he definitely ran some really interesting things <laughs> of all the people that I watched in terms of you know incorporating. Miles and Sabonis, like I mentioned in the article for Bjorker, and that he also had to incorporate two, one, two centers into his lineup late in the season because of somebody that got assigned to Bakersfield and had to find minutes. So he has experience with that, but obviously Chris Finch is, you know, probably eclipses that. He has a lot of, um, like I said, brain power and knowledge that I think he could bring to the table if the Pacers were willing to to look at somebody else that they've already talked to. Yeah, yeah, I think that's great. a really great point. I mean, especially looking at – that's one thing I kind of – I was thinking about last week too. 
Um, just because, I mean, obviously Chris Finch had been noted as uh, we thought he was the front runner at the time. Um, I do wonder how willing he'd be to come back and be the assistant. And I think you bring up a really great point, Caitlin, if he doesn't um, stick with the Pelicans, depending on who they bring in, uh, which I've heard very little on that coaching search. Well, they have um, two secret candidates. Sorry to hop in, but they have oh, two yeah. like secret <laughs> candidates because for, for two weeks they've said they have four finalists, but the only ones you ever hear are Stan Van Gundy. And then it was Ty Lu, who now mm-hmm. isn't a candidate anymore. So I was wondering for a while, is Chris Finch a candidate there? Like, yeah. I don't well, know actually he, is, he is. Yeah. I was talking to Will Guillory who uh, on, on my pod last week, feels like forever ago. But um, yeah, he mentioned that that David Griffin had included uh, Chris right. Finch in the search and he he wasn't for sure if they'd had meetings, but he was pretty sure that they had. Yeah, so, I mean, uh, David Griffin had, had said that outright. I just didn't know if he was one of the secret finalists. <laughs> uh, we love a secret similar finalist. To, similar to the uh, Mike D'Antoni thing, it seems like the Stan Van Gundy is like, you know, if, if they're going to hire him, you'd think they would have already done that. You know, what, you know, why have all these other interviews if you, if you're hiring a guy with that kind of a profile, you're going to go lock him down. The Mike um, D and Tony so, thing, just uh, sorry, I'm hopping it again. It's still yeah. kind of weird for me because oh, after the, after the Sixers thing, like there was definitely momentum there. Like people I talked to were pretty like other reporters from other places. I'm not going to say who, because they told me to keep it, keep it too between us, but they had said that there was a lot of momentum between the Pacers and D'Antoni. So I just wondered if after things got as far down the hill as they did with the Sixers, like how do you sit there at an introductory press conference and have Mike D'Antoni be like, well, as you know, that job was mine to lose until Doc became available. And now here I am picking my second choice. Like, I mean, that's yeah. definitely what it would have read as. They yeah. wanted to coach the Sixers and now you're here. So, well, yeah, also, I mean, it was weird too with, uh, with MDA because it felt kind of like um, if things would have happened with him, it felt like it would have happened kind of right away, considering how, how long his name had kind of been uh, out in the air for the Pacers. I mean, even before Nate got fired um, it, I, yeah, the whole situation, this coaching search has been very, very odd. Lots of twists and turns. It's like an like Aesop's fables or something like that. It's just very, uh, very <laughs> eloquent, lots of random stuff happening. Um, I, I'll be honest. I haven't read Aesop's Fables. That was the first thing that came to my mind. So I, I could have definitely picked like a, a more in-depth <laughs> novel, but that, that's what we went with. Um, I do have to ask, Caitlin, how excited are you to not have to write another coaching profile this offseason? Oh, it's crazy. I think I, I don't remember who I was talking to. I was like, I don't even feel like I worried about the Pacers anymore. I was listing off all the teams <laughs> that I had watched film on, which was, you know, a good exercise for overall my writing and, and stuff. But I do want to say to everybody that's still listening at this point when this gets published tomorrow that thank you for everybody who read and followed that series and, and got into that. And yeah, I mean, good to launch into the off season and finally know who's in charge and have a little bit less murkiness, hopefully by the time uh, the presser occurs. But yeah, yeah I'm, fantastic. I'm, I mean, I'm not too sad were. to be done with them, but <laughs> It helps yeah, to write about is. the stuff that you know instead of having to go research the hell out of everything. Yeah, yeah, definitely a lot of time cons- time went into each of those, but yeah, I, I, I'm ready to move on to to the to the next thing. So now it's all about who who the Pacers going to trade for. So uh, actually, speaking of that, I, I just found that line I was thinking of earlier. Jay Michael had it in the Indy Star. He said, "Bjorken believes he can make the combination of Miles Turner." Demontis Sabonis work. 
did it with Serge Ibaka, Marcus Gasol in Toronto. Although both those are older players who were willing to sacrifice playing time, while Turner and Sabonis want to start. So um, that was the that was the line I was thinking. But I'm sure uh, this from reading about Bjorkren, I'm sure he has a, a several different ways he feels he can <laughs> make he can make it. Like I said, there's a mountain. Let's go make it work. There's so, a Jeff um, Goldblum quote from Jurassic Park that I could insert there that, I, that I, I'm <laughs> debating heavily doing in post-production, but uh, <laughs> we'll see on that one. I don't know, man. Serge Ibaka is a much better and much more willing three-point shooter than Miles Salkin. I don't know. I'm getting a little bit too caught up in my own head, but yeah, that's well, that's where I'm at I, on I that. Think, <laughs> I think, you know, to Tatum's point too, like we're assuming, you know, the Pacers want to keep him, but again, we're coming up on the draft um, and, you know, if there's a deal to be made, right. you know, they're going to make a deal. And, yeah, I mean, um, I'd be surprised if they didn't at least gauge the market and see oh, what's yeah. oh, available absolutely. to them. If yeah. you're not doing that, then... And, and, and I still question, again, as I've said many times, I question the ceiling of it, but I would be interested to see it under a new coach, and I wouldn't be surprised if that's what they ultimately decide to do and, and give themselves some time, especially if there isn't something out there right. that they think is worth pulling the trigger over exactly that's yeah. the thing you don't want to be in the in a spot where you know you don't have any leverage and now if they're you know putting out this type of info like oh no we're gonna make it work and then you know maybe that raises the the um offers as they're coming in did yeah. we talk about the statements that the Pacers released and that he released? Because I thought they were pretty telling. I, I don't have it up, but the Pacers, I think, or Kevin Pritchard said that, you know, this partnership for many years. And then at the end of Nate Bjorkens, he said, like, he talked about guiding them to an NBA championship. Like, yeah, I love that I mean, last night. Not yeah. Like, not too, not <laughs> I mean, he, I mean, he went, he went for it. Like, this yeah, is why yeah. I'm here. Hey, the mountains there, man. And we'll given that, it. like, a lot of the most recent Pacers coaching candidates or actual coaches haven't been here for, like, multiple years. I mean, like, three or four years at a time, the last several that they've had. Like, for them to say, we, you know, outright say, for Kevin Pritchard to say, like, many years, I thought yeah. that was a telling little sound bite within the press release. Yeah, definitely. And that's one thing I've kind of hammered at home a little bit on the pod um, over the last month or so, but... I mean, it really like, especially as things kind of came out from from uh, some ownership. I know Steve Simon's point that he put out, I think that was a week or two weeks ago, talking about wanting a young, innovative coach who's going to be here to grow with the team. And it just it kind of in tandem with everything else that's been said by the front office and the minimal stuff they have put out. It's really seemed like they want to build something that's going to last a lot longer than just like a, a two or three year stint, which, of course, every front office wants to have something long lasting. But I think they've really put a focal point on that. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how they make it work. I mean, this is KP's. Uh, I don't want to say it's his like one chance to hire a coach, but I mean, oftentimes GMs or president of B-ball ops, whoever's number one, you, you really only get the one the one, the one higher. So we're definitely going to find out pretty, uh, not quickly. I mean, it takes time, but, uh, if he nailed it or not, and a lot's going to depend on, on what happens with Vic this summer. And, and like you mentioned already with maybe trades happen before the draft, but, um, yeah, I, I'll, it, it's a, it's a, it's a pretty monumental point. I actually wanted yeah. to ask both of you something. How high pressure of a job do you think this is? Oh, that's good. Oh, that's a very good question. Um, it's kind of funny. I don't, I don't want to say that it's like, 
It's definitely not the Clippers because the Clippers is just a nightmare. Um, I mean, Ty Lue had to go to the hospital when he was coaching the Cavs, and somehow it feels like coaching the Clippers is going to be even more stress-inducing. Um, I, I wouldn't say that it's like the most high pressure, but I feel like it just this is just my perception. Um, but just gauging, you know, I even though I don't always um, actively – uh, talk with, with people on Facebook or Twitter. Cause sometimes I'm just, you know, lurking to see what people say, which sounds weird as it leaves your mouth. But, um, you know, I think in talking to people and, and just fans, they're frustrated. They're tired of being a, not just a first round out, but, you know, a, a 48 to 50 win team, um, which, I mean, you can gauge the merits of that however you want, but I think there's just a very, um, real feeling that this team, uh, needs to be better. And uh, so I do think the pressure is mounting more than it has um, over the last couple of years. You know, I, I don't know if you guys have gotten that same sense, um, but I, I do think uh, the pressure on, on the job is there because this, this isn't a young rebuilding team. I mean, you can look at obviously Domas is is 24 and he's the best player on the team. He's he's he's, he's pretty young. He just had his first all star season. Um, but the surrounding guys are not like like the same age. You know, everybody else is they're in their primes. Um so I do think there is kind of something has to happen within two or three years to, to really be with this group of guys. It feels like. Yeah. I, in general, I would say this is, this is not a high pressure job um, compared to others around the NBA. And, you know, mainly cause I mean, I know we hear every complaint <laughs> uh, from, from the fans and every, you know, People complain about me or, or maybe McMillan, excuse me, um, and <laughs> and others. Um, but you know, in general, a, a big chunk of the Pacers fan base is also you know IU Purdue fans, or you know they're not living and dying with the Pacers as much as some of the other pro teams around. I know locally, I was I was interested today on um, uh, local radio. JMV uh, was talking uh, or his his. You know, he's trying to generate some debate, but he was like, you know, is this just uh, a great young hire guy or is it just the pace of being cheap, not wanting to pay big money for a guy like, you know, like D'Antonio Billups? Um, and, you know, of course, there's people, people kind of negative and, and can, can take that approach. I definitely don't think that was the case. I mean, just looking at what they stated they wanted to do and the guys they were interviewing mostly um it seems like they got their guy someone who's like you said innovative going to grow with the, grow with the team um but i i don't think um you know the team is going to be good regardless and he is going to be uh, you know there's not going to be there isn't championship pressure here uh, you know as much as we want to have it there isn't um you know the, the they're not going into the cap. If I I think they would if they had a team that was there and they could get, um, you know, get some players in their trade or something that would push them over the cap. I think they would go for it if they felt they had a, a true chance. And like we've mentioned a million times, they've been pretty close, um, maybe over the last six seven years at different points. But then a freaking ridiculous injury or something has happened. Where it's like, well, yeah, no, you don't want to spend all that money. So, um, but there's, it seems like there's always 
something that's been holding them back um, and it's not necessarily the coach. Um, so as far as overall pressure um, on this job, you know, I, I think he's got uh, a good few years here and, and we'll see how he does and, and how the team develops um, under a new leader. And then, um, you know, people, People will start. I mean, we're going to hear the people who are going to complain right away if they lose the first three games. But um, in general, I think the organization sounds like they're going to be patient with him to let him set up his own, um, you know, systems and you know his, the way he wants to run the team. Uh, and then you know they're going to be building. I mean, it seems like what they're building around Sabonis one, I guess. Um, and then after that, you're looking at TJ Warren probably and, and, and Malcolm Brybden. And then, you know, we're filling it around and, and then trying – hopefully they can make some trades, maybe get some young draft picks, build up that talent um, around those guys. Uh, and then, you know, they may have something that is more sustainable than it's been in the past. Yeah, I think all that's a good point because I was thinking back to when the Celtics, you know, out of nowhere kind of announced that they were hiring Brad Stevens all those mm-hmm. years ago. And it felt like a little bit of a similar vibe when you looked at those statements from the Pacers today that like by saying many years and stuff, you're giving, you know, you're throwing your full support yeah. th- behind him as you should. But like definitely that by putting that specific verbiage there, you are. But the one thing that I do question is that while I like I agree with both of you about the Clippers situation and how high of a pressure job that is, and that there aren't necessarily championship aspirations for this iteration of the roster for next season, is that when when while it was regrettable when they put three of sixteen on the press release Oof. to let go of Nate McMillan and said that that's his playoff record and indicated that like we don't want to just be four and out in the playoffs anymore. We don't want any more sweeps. We don't want to be out in the first round. And then Kevin Pritchard, when he's talking about it, says like Nate McMillan, you know, did a classy thing and he took the blame, but you know, I'm here, I'm taking the blame. Like, okay, well then what happens next year at the end of the year, if they don't get out of the first round. And and that's kind of what I'm questioning in terms of the pressure. Like, obviously I do not think that they should let go of Nate Bjorkren for that reason, if that were to occur, but like, what's the next logical step then when you have kind of these conflicting messages of, Hey, we let go of Nate McMillan because we weren't happy with our playoff record. And then Kevin Pritchard saying, you know, I'm taking responsibility, but I'm also letting go of that other person who took responsibility. Like I, I just, I'm interested to see what the, how that dynamic plays out, but that's obviously pretty far down the road. Yeah. yeah no, I it think- almost, there's more, more pressure on KP. Mm-hmm. Right. Know. But then, you know, okay. So if there's pressure on KP, there's, but he, you know, Bjorgren now is tied to KP. <laughs> so like we say, you know, if they did bring in someone after KP and then it's like, okay, now he's going to want his new coach, you know, if this doesn't work, but, um, you know, I, I think we'll, we'll, you know, this, um, this summer, I almost said summer. <laughs> I've here, said it so many times, the, man. The, um, you know, we'll have a pretty good feel when, whenever they start up of, of how good this team should be, um, regardless of who the coach is, um, whether it's more continuity and they have most of their guys back or if they made some, um, some deals that have improved things one way or other, or have maybe they've taken a step back, gotten younger, whatever, whatever it may be, we should have a realistic feel of, you know, what success is going to look like. 
And, um, and, and maybe because of how they pivoted, I mean, not necessarily pivoted, but also put an emphasis on that the coaching hire needed to be somebody who could relate to today's players and be a good yeah. communicator that that relieves some of the pressure that, Hey, it wasn't just about the functioning of the offense and, and modernity and yeah. getting out of the first round. It was also about having somebody that could, you know, maybe solve some of the internal dynamics mm-hmm. that were going on at the end of last year. Yeah, no, that's a really great point because I think, that's something that's been interesting because I, in, in talking to a lot of people who are, you know, more national media or they cover um, bigger markets, that, that did, <laughs> that is not news that touched the ears of people outside Indiana or people who are covering the team. Um, so I think I agree that there's still a very negative outlook on how the Pacers fired Nate McMillan um, if, if you're not privy to that information. Um, Cause I, I know, I mean, personally myself, I remember when I talked to both of you and, and, and Dave Searle, when we did that pod right after, and I remember I wasn't like outraged, but it, it just seemed, it was very um, off brand and, and kind of uh, uncouth for, for how the Pacers usually handle things. And I think I agree. It's, it, it, it kind of goes in a, a direction that, that agrees with some of the stuff that we've heard. Um, I, I think, you know, in, in, in looking at moving forward as well, um, I, I do kind of wonder what are obviously? I mean, you, we could mention X's and O's all day, and 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 that, and we've already talked about that. But just in terms of like maybe one or two things that that you would really like to see improve in this iteration of the coaching staff, and and what they do moving forward that that would make a difference, um, or could make a difference. Um, I, I just not to harp, harp on myself, but right away, I think the, uh, you know I've been really on track with this, and I, I kind of want to write something about it. But uh, I think the the real next step for this team to to if they want to do what what they're talking about, you know, and being a team that can grow together and really do something instead of being, you know, I mean, if, if I'd have to do some research on it, but it feels like pretty much if you have a core, their windows two to three years right now, like that. That's just based on how contracts work and, and the current emphasis on player movement. That's that seems to be pretty fitting. You know, like you look at the uh, the Roy Hibbert Pacers. That's a two two ish two ish year window, maybe two and a half if you include. Uh, 2011 and 2012. Um, but if they're going to really build together, it's going to have to happen with making things work in the draft. Um, and I'm not saying that you have to, you know, sell high to get lottery picks or, or anything like that, but um, that's what, just in looking through things, that's what really separates this team from, you know, like you look at the classic example of the Spurs and, and I'm not thinking that the team's going to get to there because you, they added Tim Duncan that, that definitely helps a lot. Um, but you look in terms of like what the Nuggets have done. Uh, Tim Connolly just abuses the draft. Like they do not miss draft picks and they develop their guys. And it's important. Like, I think that's the one area where this team has really lacked um, over the last four, four, four plus years is really having guys who you draft and you're able to solidify. And I think part of that is because this team was always focused on, on making it to the playoffs and trying to make a run in the playoffs and so you don't get that extra five or 10 minutes, you know, over the course of a game or two to a young player who needs that time to develop. And I mean, Aaron holiday has been lucky and, and obviously it's a testament to how he works. I mean, his playing time as rookie year was insanely inconsistent. Um, and I mean, even with Goga this year, we've talked about that Caitlin in terms of the ability that he got in, in the, in the bubble, just to, to kind of get some growth and, and consistent playing time. I mean, that's something that I really think needs to happen in terms of this this group moving forward. And I'm really hopeful that, um, you know, obviously 54th pick is not a pick that's going to blow you out of the water. But just the guys who are brought in, there needs to be uh, 
more, I, I don't want to say more of an emphasis, but you, I think you get what I'm saying. Like finding those little ways to make those improvements makes a difference for the organization. So I think for me, that's something immediately that I'm, I'm really hopeful to see this season. Right. I mean, I think that the Raptors have, you know, one of the best records for player development. Mm-hmm. Obviously that doesn't mean that it directly connects to Bjorkren, but he does have um, exposure to that, whether it be the Raptors 905 and how they send players down there and get the minute. Uh, yeah. Because I mean, we have talked about Goga, as you say before, that it wasn't super helpful. And while I understand why it was hard to find regular minutes for him, that by the time you're in the playoffs, he's somebody that just based on skill set coming off the bench against the heat as being somebody you could actually roll and space the floor where you weren't really going to get a lot of that from Jakar Sampson, that it would have been helpful for him to be more ready. Um, so, yeah, I see where you're coming with that one. Yeah. And you remember, you know, Goga had, had a couple moments there down the bubble. <laughs> um, the LeBron really stopper, the Anthony Davis stopper. I mean, he single-handedly beat the <laughs> Lakers. So, yeah. So, uh, um, yeah, I hope that you know he can, he can keep developing and, and maybe Bjorkman can unlock something in him as well. Um, yeah, I almost think of him as an afterthought at this point, which is which sucks. Um, it's not fair to him, but because um, um, he was so young. But well, but obviously that could be a key cog. I mean, the Pacers are definitely due for someone like that to come out and all of a sudden after a year or two of of working just start playing to a level that they thought they would. I don't think TJ at least going to make it, but could be wrong. But, um, you know, that, that type of a guy who's just like all of a sudden everything clicks and, um, and, and they get it going. So we'll see. I don't know. So what, what's next? Are we, I mean, I'm interested in Justin holiday coming back. We got, we got to get through the draft. We've got, um, not many other moves they can make unless we we make a trade, right? Yeah, I mean they got decisions looming. I mean, obviously everything hinges on whenever they you know finally agree on what the cap's going to be, how they're handling yeah. all that, and whenever the trade moratorium actually gets lifted. <laughs> but um, they got decisions to make on Alize's qualifying offer, as well as uh, the date whenever TJ McConnell's contract will become fully guaranteed. So it'll be interesting to see how they see those roster spots. I mean, especially with Alizé, like what do they see as more mm-hmm. valuable continuing to have him as somebody who's been within their system, even though it's going to be under a different coach or, or whether they want to have that be opened up and, and start looking at somebody else. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think, um, I mean, right away, Tom, I think I look at trades and, and that's not, I, I, I get really invested in looking at, TradeNBA.com yeah. way too often sometimes. Um, but, I mean, apparently Victor Oladipo isn't worth Danny Green, Kyle Kuzma, and the Lakers first, which is pick number 30. So I don't I don't know what we're looking at with that. Um, <laughs> that was my nice little barb. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see what happens. But I think overall just the fact that they have a coach decided on who's going to be in on everything and obviously not running things, but having that feedback and, and voice of whoever is going to be leading the team is huge. Yeah, I thought it was interesting that uh, seeing that Brian Windhorst um, comment about Oladipo in Miami. You know, obviously we the the tea leaves have been <laughs> pointing towards Miami for Vic for quite some time, more at the free agency time. But 
Um, I, I've thought about that during the playoffs. It's like, why would Miami want Victor at this point if you're going to, you know, essentially stunt the growth of Tyler Hero, who um, is so young and obviously showed what um, what he's capable of and, and obviously has room to grow as we saw in the finals. But um, it doesn't seem like it would be a good fit right now for them at all to be, you know, putting that kind of uh, resources towards Vic. So, you know, where that opens up a whole new thing and maybe he, he's going to have to reassess what he's doing as far as where he wants to get. I, I you know, I think obviously he, he's interested in the music and selling clothes and all that stuff as well. So, um, you know, New York, LA, I guess, but, <laughs> um, you know, I, I could see him ended up trying to just come back and, and build up his, um, uh, build up his market value again, I guess. Um, but hopefully I, I prefer actually, if, if that's going to be the case, um, I'd rather him, you know, build that up somewhere else, I guess. I don't know. It's going to be a yeah. interesting couple weeks here. It's an awkward situation because on the one hand, like, I mean, when I, I did a Q and a with somebody else about this, that I, I can understand taking the measured approach that I think Tim Bonnups put out there. And that's kind of what I laid out when I wrote it, that, I, I can understand from the Pacers perspective that the offers right now are going to be, you know, cents on the dollar and that there probably is a line of thinking where if Victor wants to make the max level money that's being reported that he wants to make, he has every reason to come back next season and play at a high level, regardless of if he wants to play long-term for the Pacers. So if he yeah. can come back and play at a, at a reasonable level, then you're increasing what you're going to be able to get back in return. Cause like you said, I mean, I've been saying that about the heat for a while. It just, I mean, David Ramil from locked on heat, like I'm not revealing something. He literally reported almost a year ago that there was, people within the Pacers front office that were worried like before he came back from injury that he was going to be interested in playing for the heat and that that's a place where they could lose him to. And it's like, but at this point, like you say, after what they just saw in that first round series, plus it just doesn't seem like a Pat Riley move that if, if they knew that Victor wanted to play for them, it does not seem like that they would do what the Knicks did for Mello all those years ago and give up assets for somebody that they that they could theoretically sign yeah. if, he was, if he was playing like Victor I just don't think that would that what's that they would do but now that it's come out that he you know a lot of people around the league think that he's aiming for max level money you're kind of signaling to these other teams that you know if you get me you're going to be a rental because how many teams based on what they're seeing right now in this moment are like that's a max level player like I yeah, mean no any any <laughs> uh, no. I, mean, the Knicks? I don't know so yeah definitely (laughs) well yeah i mean it's it's a great point too because i think one thing right off that i mean it does raise questions as well because you know teams that are eyeing 2021 free agency if you were to get vic i mean maybe you trade for vic and you try and see um you know what he can do with your training staff working in your team um and, and playing through you maybe he is able to recruit some of that value playing on a different team and if he doesn't then and you're a big enough market that you're attracting free agents in 2021 anyways, you can let them walk or maybe you do a sign and trade or something. I don't know. Um, but I do think, I mean, it's just, there's, it, it makes my head spin thinking about it sometimes to be completely honest. Cause there are so many different directions that things could go. Um, but I also would say too, I mean, it, it just, I, I try and be, it, it, it's easy for me to say that I'm objective when I'm, I'm the one talking, but like, 
um, I try and be objective and I, I, you know, when talking to people from other teams and what they would, they think, you know, their value of their players is and everything. I mean, there really just aren't a lot of trades that make sense for both teams when looking at Victor right now. I think a lot of trades I see get thrown out. This is not to, you know, um, dunk on people, but like a lot of trades for Victor, they just aren't sensible for, for one of the teams, maybe for, um, you know, a lot of Pacers fans will put out a trade and you get back like an all-star. And I, I don't think that's Victor's value right now. Um, and then other trades you see Victor get traded for like uh, Kyle Anderson or something like that. You know, like that's that's not exactly there either. But I think, you know, in terms of looking at what you think market value or equal value might be, because often, I mean, there just really aren't a lot of trades that aren't going to be mostly fair to both teams because you have to have relationships with those people and you can't just burn those bridges. Otherwise, they're never going to deal with you again. There just really aren't a lot of deals that, that can be struck, that, that really makes sense for both sides. Yeah, speaking of burned bridges and a bridge that isn't burned, <laughs> I know that it was um, brought up yesterday that uh, Zach Lowe said on his podcast with Bill Simmons that to keep an eye on Milwaukee as a potential victor. Mm-hmm. And uh, obviously the Pacers dealt very nicely with the Bucks a year ago, but uh, I'm just wondering what in the world that package would be. <laughs> yeah. It's like Eric Bledsoe and Dante DiVincenzo. Yeah, and can you like, imagine Brogdon's reaction to that? Like, oh, my God. At his, oh, introductory, yeah. at his introductory press conference, he talked pretty at length about how he his opportunity here would be to be a point guard. So then you trade yeah. Victor to Milwaukee for Eric Bledsoe, and you're like, hey, this guy's back. Oh, <laughs> Dylan Malcolm Brogdon that? Like, that seems a little bit awkward to me. but That would be incredibly awkward. Oh, man, I don't even know what to think on that. Um, well, unless you guys have anything else you want to add, I think, uh, this is pretty like, we, we could go on and on about some of the trades and stuff, but I actually, I kind of want to save that for another pod. Um, yeah. but yeah, we're, yeah, we'll keep it with Nate B. Yes. You can't, can't forget the, <laughs> the important part of the day. We have, uh, another bald Nate has taken helm at the club, um, taken help for the Pacers. <laughs> uh, I'm very excited. I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm really excited to get to talk to him sometime soon. Um, that would be cool. Do you have any idea when the uh, presser would be, Tom? I think they're. I think they're doing something tomorrow. Oh, so I, I, I know he's going to be on some of the local radio tomorrow. I think, um, which uh, I know they were at least saying they were going to have him on tomorrow. So um, I was usually that is something that happens after they introduce him. And I mean, the Pacers were, I, you know, just. Quick tangent, I'll get off it quick, but that, that, um, you know, the information they put out announcing it was pretty thorough. <laughs> you know, a lot of times the Pacers just put out the nuts and bolts. Here's well, that's because sometimes they're reacting after the moment, Tom. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're right. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> after Victor has it, told somebody something else. Told something else. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> that's hilarious. Oh, um, man. But, uh, yeah, they were locked and loaded for this one, so I, it, it seems like um, they're ready to push forward. <laughs> Did they put his G League playoff but... record at the bottom? <laughs> yeah. I no, would actually, not I, want I, to go. Oh, man. Oh, what were you saying? I mean, I can, his overall playoff record, he has a 63% winning percentage in the G League. Yeah, he is. Oh, I yeah. do have that right here. Yeah, no, but, I'm uh, just saying, I, man. I, no, uh, I get, I get the, uh, the connection. God, I wonder if that social media <laughs> intern still works there. Um, But, I mean, actually, never mind. It was a team press release, so I can't even. But, yeah. 
Well, guys, this was uh, this was fun. It's always good to convene the, the indie cornrows minds. Um, and I just want to say thank you guys for doing some awesome work. It's actually really funny. I always I feel like I always go off on these sap, sappy tangents at the end. But uh, I remember I was talking to Harrison Fagan the other day. They have like 30 people who write it at Lakers SB Nation. I didn't even realize that. And there's three of us. I mean, four of us if because Nathan does the uh, postgame stuff. But like it's it's crazy to think about how, how many of us are covering this stuff to compared to everyone else. But we're, we're, ma- we're making it work. Um, yep. What do you guys got coming up this week that you're excited about? Um, besides not having new coaching profiles, um, <laughs> what, what what's coming up for you guys? Oh, I'm being commissioned now. I had somebody from the Clippers being like, hey, what can you tell me about <laughs> Larry Drew? I had <laughs> Pelicans people. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> um, it will. It will. Uh, good college industry you got going. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it will be based on whatever Nate Bjorkren says. I mean, who knows? I mean, I, I do think in closing, like just out of respect i just want to say like i really liked how the pacers handled this entire search they had a really diverse list of candidates that they considered and they were exhaustive with it i mean obviously none of us were in on the interviews and that obviously played a huge part in who they ultimately selected but i just appreciate the fact that you know they turned over every rock looking for the person that they felt was was right and and i'm excited to see what he's going to say and and you know, maybe they're going to think that he and Victor just have completely compatible pers- feathery personalities and, <laughs> and they're going to make it work. But yeah, that was just my closing thought that I didn't know if we mentioned that they interviewed like 20 candidates. So, yeah, it seemed like there was, you know, on, on some level, you, you, we, you know, we, we had said in the past, you know, if you have 20 talents, you don't have any. But in looking at the type of guy they wanted, it seemed like you got to look at all these different assistants and, and, um, and what they're bringing and, and dig into them and, and give them more of a chance than you would. Maybe guys who are established in the you kind of know, like, a, you know, D'Antonio or Van Gundy or, or people who have a track record um, that would be, you know, more of a retread. When, when you're going through all that big, big chunk of assistance they went through, um, you know, and they've whittled it down to the guy they wanted. You're right. I think, that the process worked out the way they probably had hoped it would. Yeah. And I think it, I, I, I want to echo your sentiments to Caitlin. Cause I think, I don't want to say this has been like the most, uh, that saying anti-patients is the wrong way to put it, but I think they, they really focused on, on doing things differently this time. Cause I mean, it, it was, it's funny. I remember I had somebody ask me, um, you know, this is, this feels so different to how Nate McMillan got hired. I'm like, yeah, I mean, they got hired like so freaking quickly. There was no search and this is the complete opposite. I mean, I think they're really, they did their homework and I, I agree with, I forgot to say it earlier, Tom, but I totally agree with what you said about this not being a cheap move. Cause I saw that get thrown around a lot today. Um, and I, I just disagree, frankly, I, I, I think, I don't want to, it's not like it, I don't think it's really cheap to do any of the options that, that they could have done, but it's clear that they, they really put their effort in on this one. So um, I'm just excited to see how things go and it'll be cool to cover it. So um, thank you to everyone listening. I'm, I'm sure uh, you, you, you got through our rambling session, uh, but we, we had a lot of great informative stuff in here. Um, thank you for listening. Please be sure to rate and review on Apple podcasts. Subscribe anywhere else you can get our podcast. Of course, read us at Indie Cornrows. Read Caitlin's piece on Nate Bjorkren if you haven't already since I told you to like 25 minutes ago. Um, And just have a good rest of your day and go Pacers.